and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Late Night, and I'm happy to reconvene for the third time in as many months the team of <laughs> Lissa Koshbakti and Josh Brown. Guys, thanks for being here for this one. Thank you for having us. I feel ill-equipped to be on this episode because your other guest, Lissa, she worked <laughs> for Seth Meyers. And I just watched that. Myers. Yeah, now, Lisa has a bit of experience working in uh, late night television, having uh, interned for uh, Seth Meyers and Sam B. So, Lisa, I greatly appreciate you gracing us with your expertise for this one. Thanks for having me, Josh. But I know Joshua was going to roast me on late night history, so we'll see how this goes. Yeah, this worked out well because Josh uh, was able to do this with us, and he is a bit more of a nerd than anyone else I know about late night wars, which this movie isn't necessarily about, but I think he certainly has a good idea of how this behind-the-scenes stuff goes. And I've become a bit more well-versed on these movies in the last few days because just yesterday and today I watched The Late Shift and Morning Glory, both of which have obviously uh, been mentioned in in relation to this movie. And Morning Glory was uh, written by Ali Brosh McKenna, who wrote The Devil Wears Prada, which has also been mentioned a lot in comparisons to this movie. But uh, Late Night is the new movie from writer and producer Mindy Kaling. It's directed by uh, Nisha Ganatra. And... It stars Mindy Kaling as well as a woman named Molly Patel, who has absolutely no experience working in comedy, but through a series of odd events that I honestly can't remember, she gets a, <laughs> a, a meeting with a, an executive at uh, an NBC-type company and is able to put herself in a position to get hired as a writer on a show hosted by uh, late-night legend Catherine Newberry, played by Emma Thompson, because she, Catherine Newberry has recently realized that her writer's room is completely white and completely male, and she needs to diversify, so she makes the diversity hire, who, and that is, Molly has to come into this job and face all of the challenges that uh, would, not one would normally face as a diversity hire in such a scenario, on top of just simply uh, just having to be a woman in that world uh guys i guess where i first want to start is not even necessarily in relation to uh what your expectations were as someone that had worked in this world Lisa, but just what what in general were you hoping to get out of this movie and what were your uh big picture initial reactions to it it's tough because i was really looking forward to this movie and i liked a lot of things about it but there's a lot of things that i didn't like about it um um i guess comparison to the late night world for me I just was hoping that her voice was more so going to be heard and that was accomplished in the film, but it wasn't to the extent that I was hoping it would have been for me personally. I feel like when I worked at late night, Seth Meyers, the environment was really, uh, comfortable. There was no like toxic masculinity. Everyone's on the same page, but you know, there's always room for improvement anywhere. And it's kind of how I feel about this film. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because I, I'll say I was also very excited about this film but uh, and, and liked a lot of it, but it definitely left me wanting more in some ways, which I'll get into in a minute. But first, I want to ask Josh. Josh, uh, what was your reactions to this movie, especially as a late-night late, late fanatic? When someone like you that uh, was this weirdo 14-year-old kid that reading about the late-night wars of the early 90s, and you already are fairly well-versed in this world, what are you hoping to get then when you go see a movie about this world, which you already know as much about as most people who have never worked in it? Well, let me just say that the late night wars of 2010 were my Vietnam. <laughs> uh, team, Co- so team Conan, right? Yeah, Team Coco. Um, All right, Coco. But yeah, like my expectations for the movie were kind of tempered because, you know, on the one hand, I think I'm now like a sucker for like these, you know, throwbacks to these studio comedies or what would have been studio comedies not too long ago. 
and but also I've been kind of skeptical of Mindy Kaling because last year I thought she gave the worst performances in both A Wrinkle in Time and mm. Ocean's Eight. Mm, yeah. And so I was, and I kind of, you know, I knew it was going to be somewhat like a formulaic, you know, studio comedy. So I wasn't like thinking it was going to change the wheel, but I think I came out hotter on this film than you guys because I, I don't like, I, I, I warmed to it. Like, you know, at first, you know, it was a little bit rocky, but I, you know, thought it did a solid job. And to Alyssa's point about like, she felt like Mindy Kaling's voice didn't come out uh, strong enough in the film. I sort of felt a, like a little bit of the opposite. Cause I just know that Mindy Kaling has a strong affinity for like, you know, late nineties, like rom-coms, which Emma Thompson is, you know, uh, a facet of Emma Thompson also, you know, has a standing in the comedy world because, and when she was in college, she was part of Fry and Laurie, like this sketch group, you know, and she was recognized there. And I know that like Mindy Kaling has an affinity for this type of genre. And so when it came to the first film that she wrote, I figured it'd be something like this. And I think it came out pretty okay. Like I think it hit <laughs> the notes that it wanted to hit, but in reflection of the late night wars, um, <sighs> you know, it, it doesn't really reflect. It, it, it's a weird. Oh no. Yeah. I, I, I don't think there's really a direct parallel to that, but I mean, yeah. I, I just knew you Other had a, a that, different like, interest in this stuff. Kind of a letterman figure. Right. There's definitely that. And I, well, first of all, I want to say, I, I mentioned briefly morning glory earlier. It's a 2010 movie, which I'd somehow like never heard of before, like three days ago, uh, <laughs> where Rachel McAdams plays <laughs> a, a, a producer on like a, I guess a job at a producer in a morning show and has to convince <laughs> old time newsman, Harrison Ford to come be on a daytime talk show with Diane Keaton. And it really is works as a rom-com more than it does as a movie about the news and that's what i think of when i think about these movies that mindy kaling has a great affection for i mean in the pilot of the mindy project there's like a bunch of stuff about you've got mail and how much she loves it you know mm -hmm. she yeah. she is certainly into that stuff but, but but it's funny that you guys mentioned mindy kaling's voice specifically because i want to preface this because i am going to be more critical of this movie than i think josh is but i want to preface this by saying i think it's like complete bullshit that is that it's not mentioned enough that she has more soul solo writing credits on any episodes of the office than any other writer you know like right. the, the office has gotten like huge like undeservedly so almost in my opinion i like that show fine but it's like it's like everyone's personality to like the office these days and <laughs> i feel like that it's had like this resurgence in the last few years is like it's become netflix's biggest thing and people right. like I, I no one talks about the fact that minnie kaling wrote more episodes than anyone else like i think it's exactly really unfair to her and i guess that would be fitting that this is a workplace comedy right mm -hmm. yeah. yeah no i read that i'm a lot of her kind of writing for this movie came off of her own experiences being the only female writer on the office you know Right. Wait, we had one female writer. <laughs> I, I'm like 80 percent sure. For at least a lot of the time, she was on it, definitely. But I think what's interesting, and that like the in the mini projects also a workplace comedy, but like obviously a lot of it comes from the office, and because a lot a lot of the figures involved in the office, like Mike Schur, and uh, like kind of came from SNL, who then has ties to this late night world. Like she obviously has a lot of knowledge about this stuff. But a lot of the time that she was writing for The Office, though, was in like the the mid aughts, or or or, or is it, or, or are we in the aughts now? Is it what's the is it what what's the previous decade? I don't know. It's uh, I never <laughs> know what they call it. But it's like in that 2005 to 2010 range where that was like her heyday in writing those episodes. And yeah, my biggest thing about this movie is that it feels like she wrote it in like 2009, and then it just didn't get changed <laughs> before it got made. 
and that's probably accurate because I would have yeah. like this premise is something that has lingered around uh, her head for quite some time. I know it like was on the blacklist like not too long ago, like a okay. year or two. Yeah. Okay. I actually watched an interview after the movie that she had a, like a Q and a on the opening night yeah. or the early preview. And she was, I think she said she, this had been something in the works for like three to five years. So the fact that you referenced it feeling like a 2009 movie sounds very accurate. Cause it feels like the movie wants to be modern, but it's just barely kind of breaking that line of like the freshness of like a modern kind of rom-com that you kind of are hoping for from this film. Well, here's then, my, sorry, go ahead, Josh. Oh, and I was just saying, like, in the time that she wrote it, like, the late-night landscape has changed just so drastically. Well, exactly. Uh, if, and, and this takes place in a world – it might have almost made more sense if this took place in a, like, in a more fictionalized world than what the movie gives us because mm-hmm. a, lot of, a lot of what they talk about in this movie is that the Catherine Newberry character is very hostile towards social media, um, has become lazy and detached, doesn't speak to her writer's staff, does safe jokes, and it's a whole plot point as to whether or not she's going to tell an abortion joke and whether or not that that is going to be something that she talks about. She gives more about her personal beliefs and whether or not that's too risky to do. And mm-hmm. I, I'm they're, they're having this whole entire sequence where they're talking about this, and I'm just thinking, like, man, like this would have made sense in 2012. <laughs> But yeah. just since yeah. 2012, we've had John Oliver come on the air, and it's one thing, and it's one thing if like uh, someone does something like that in like on premium cable. But get away, forgetting that, we had Seth like obviously like go to a whole other level when he actually did what they're telling her to do, and he like broke free and did something radical by going behind the desk full time and then giving his political opinions a lot, and everyone really liked that. Colbert struggled his first couple years on the air, and then he actually probably got more political and is done doing much better since. Jimmy Fallon takes tons of shit for not being like that. And then most most relevant, I think, is the fact that in the last couple of years, Jimmy Kimmel has even – who got his start on The Man Show and doing the kind of humor that this movie like – uh, threatens to bring onto network TV with the Ike Barinholtz character. Uh, mm-hmm. Jimmy Kimmel did that stuff in the late '90s and early 2000s, and now has become more political and has become like very well respected for doing a lot of anti-Trump content. And it's like this movie is coming out after all of those things. It's like we already knew this, and I don't think it's really telling us yeah. anything new to be like, hey, it's good to say what you really think, even if it means being political. And it it kind of felt like this was written right. in a time where that would have seemed very revelatory, and it just doesn't now. See exactly. See, like that part, because like the dilemma that she faces would be something like a comedian like Jay Leno would have faced, who was always famously like a political in his uh, monologue. Um, and but like I would say that part of the film feels like the most dated because yeah, since the time period that this film was written, the proliferation of political comedians is now like all late night comedy, unless you're Jimmy Fallon, has to be political. And also the her rival in the film, her potential uh, successor, but played by Ike Barinholtz, you know, it's modeled after like I think Dane Cook, which <laughs> you know that that comedian like not, yeah, big in the early two thousands, early yeah. to mid two thousands, yeah, because it would make more sense if her successor is actually one of the YouTube stars that like she despises, you know, like. Well, here but, I, I actually ran this by Josh earlier, so I want to ask Alyssa. I think it yeah. would have been more interesting if. That guy, instead of being the frat tire type of guy that the Ike Barinholtz character is, it should have been someone like Colin Jost, who like <laughs> might take might take some shit, but is really when you think about it, not that problematic and uh, has a has a more I think has a more uh, modern safe. sense modern sense safe, but it has a more modern sense of humor that kind of gets the moment we're in as opposed to something like that Ike Barinholtz character, but at the same time. Even if even if someone like Colin Jost was announced as this, as like the host of the new late night show, like 
Right. People would be very critical of that because they're ready for something different. And I think that right. it still would have been more interesting, though, because that feels like something that might actually happen as opposed to someone like the Ike Barinholtz character, you know? Or, or like someone like Jimmy, like even like a Jimmy Fallon type, which like it's another know, white guy. <laughs> yeah, because like that's cause not like, totally offensive. Yeah, because <laughs> like, like with like uh, like Jimmy Fallon, for instance, he is seen as almost like the bane of like late night for a lot of late night fans because what he brought to the like uh, format was a more daytime television. He's really doing what Ellen does, or. So I could see a world where you still have like that frat boy mentality because you could imagine a world where like her successor might be Pootie Pie, you know, like <laughs> like a YouTuber. Yeah, like yeah, like one of those like tall yeah. type people. Like, I, so I'm not too bothered by the frat guy. I think it's just like you know Dane Cook is just an easy comparison, but um, as a stand-up, but like. I'm not too bothered by like the frat guy being the successor. Cause I think it still works to this, you know, she is this, you know, feminist like person uh, underneath and she just, you know, has been hiding it for so long, but yeah, like I'm not as harsh on the film for it's, um, uh, being a little bit behind the curve on where late night stands. Cause for the most of the part for, for, the most of the stuff it covers, I think it's still ap- applicable to like today's late night comedy shows, like the all white male writing staffs that seems to still be, you know, a major. Yeah. Well, that's where I want to go next. I want to ask you guys about its depiction of just like the workplace element of this all, because, you know, uh, Lisa sent me a really good article in the L.A. Times that kind of talked about some of the women that work in late night and what their thoughts on the film were and where diversity is in the industry now. And. Mm-hmm. I, I mentioned to Lisa before we started recording that I, had, I I feel like it was like two years ago maybe that I saw a story about just being critical of Colbert because his writer's room was like had like two women in it uh, of, out of like 20 something writers. And I and I just tucked that thought I tucked that thought in the back of my mind in a way and just like I, mm-hmm. in my head that had just been at least somewhat rectified since then. I'm like, oh, well, he has to have been like Colbert himself has to have been bothered by the optics of this enough to have at least changed that. And and then, yeah. like I, I just in my mind I gave him a lot of credit and assumed that he would and Lisa sends me this article that gives a graphic <laughs> that shows just how just about almost every single late night show even, even Sam B has like under 50% women on the staff but like after mm-hmm. Jesus and Mero who are 44% it's like below 30% for all of them. Even someone like who we generally find unproblematic, like Seth as only five Colbert, four out of 22. Like it's not great. So here in this movie, I I did think it maybe it goes a little over the top in that. Like, I don't think anyone would be so tone deaf as to have all white guys in 2000 in in modern time, but you know, there definitely still is a lot of, a lot of truth in that. So Alyssa, what was your impression of its depiction of a writer's room and what did it get right? And what could it have maybe been a little better on? Right. So I definitely agree with everything you've mentioned too. Like, you know, I'm going back to us kind of joking about how it feels like 2009, because that's really how it feels like. It just feels so extreme. You kind of are hoping for a more modern take on what's going on right now. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I, I can't really speak because I got really lucky in terms of who I worked for in late night, because, you know, at Seth Meyers, you know, there's Amber Ruffin and Jenny Hagel, and they are the two funniest people in the entire world. And they have their own segment on the show. Right. And so like, you know, that's kind of what you think about, but there's always room for improvement, of course, but no, it's no one sitting in the room telling them they can't write this joke or they can't do this. You know what I mean? And same thing at Sam B everyone's, 
you know, well-respected, all the women and the men talk together. It's a normal environment. So for me, kind of going from that warm, encouraging and inspiring environment to how drastic the show really shows how it feels. Also too, it's like with both of the hosts, you know, like the writers are the voice for whoever the host is, you know, there's no way they can't communicate with the host or they can't get their voice right on the show. So I guess in a sense, that that part is kind of correct because she didn't, Emma Thompson's character didn't talk to her writer. So there was no communication in terms of how she wanted her shows to go. And I guess the abortion joke was kind of a step out of her comfort zone. So that's what the whole drama was. But, um, you know, it's really, it just feels really drastic for what the time it was. And I kind of wish they focused more on like, it just felt like a Ted talk to me, like her, her time in the writing room. And that's kind of, I don't know what I wanted, but I didn't want a Ted talk. And that's what it kind of felt like, Oh, she got to come in here and, you know, she was, I don't even know. I can't even remember it. Sorry. I saw it like three weeks ago. It's okay. If she wrote, did she write, I guess she wrote a few jokes. I don't know. But for me, like the writers write like a hundred jokes a day, like each of them and only like four or five get picked out. So for me, she writes like two cute jokes in a not in like a moleskin novel and like everyone, I don't know. Well, so mean, for me, well, well, the abortion joke is like the first one that she actually like shares. She, she, she shares like maybe one other one that like, I think, uh, gets kind of shot down. And then there's like a montage, you know, when they're starting to like do good things again, but you don't actually right. like, hear a lot of the stuff she writes, which, uh, which would have been cool. Uh, you know, I, the other thing I will say, though, even if, like, I think, like, we agree that they could have at least, like, maybe thrown one other person of color in that writer's room or one other woman exactly. to, have, to have her, like, have some discussions about, like, what their situation is, like, uh, dispositioned in relation to all these white dudes. That would have been something that would have been a little interesting and probably a little more true to what their experiences are like today. They're probably going to at least have one other person in that scenario with you. But what I will say, even if, despite that, is that they pretty much cast pretty amazingly all these white dudes like they're all exactly like john early is like i really like him as an actor paul walter Mm -hmm. hauser is a dude that's like probably gonna be pretty huge he uh everyone remembers him in i tanya but he's about to he just he's gonna be the lead and now the ballad of richard jewell the movie about the guy that got accused of the atlanta bombings at the olympics in 96 that was originally gonna be jonah hill uh leonardo dicaprio vehicle it's now gonna be him and sam rockwell he plays like the he's like the little chubby guy um and then there's uh uh reed scott who i love from v and I, we're going to talk about him a little later and Hugh Dancy playing like the seemingly nice guy writer, but not so much. So I actually like all of these actors. Uh, so so what, 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 how did how did how did how did that group of guys strike you and how they were utilized, Josh? Well, like I thought I wasn't bothered by like they're all of them being like white guys just because I thought that was the point of it. Right. Just, uh, you know, insinuate the lack of diversity and the toxic masculinity of it. Mm-hmm. And the white privilege that, you know, also tackles that, like a lot of these writing jobs, uh, the reason why there's not that much diversity is also nepotism. Reed yeah. Scott's brother was supposed to be the heir, and Reed, Reed Scott character is the heir of, like, his father, who used to work for the show as well. But one thing that I found odd about, like, the writers, the actors that they hired as the writers, which I think they're pretty good, like, I think I had no problem with them, you know, I think they all, like, uh, like the three main ones like leave their mark but usually what always kind of annoys me with movies about like comedians is when they get cast like serious actors to play like comedy people well, yeah hugh dancy <laughs> is like playing a stand-up comedian his stand-up comedy wasn't that funny yeah like yeah like, just like you could have just hired like you know like if keep people like work in the cellar <laughs> right now like that right. seems like who would be in a writer's room you know what i mean but they for that limitation they did it 
well enough that I, like I wasn't too bothered well, by. It well, you, mentioned, you mentioned the Reed Scott thing, and I want I want to talk about that because that is something that's pretty important. In that, like you know, I, th- I think a fair criticism of this movie is like even if it's played for laughs, like the way that she gets the job, which that LA Times article talks about, is just kind of ridiculous, and it doesn't oh, really yeah. like. To, oh, I hate the fact that like she's like like her origin is the like she's from a chemical factory i hate that so much because i'm like you know there's a world where she could have just been an aspiring comedy writer right but can i add something actually yeah. i wrote this on my letterbox review um uh i kind of like that part but only because i have like a personal like story for it um i like that part only because it showed that you can go from like something to another because a lot of you know writers actors they kind of start in something a more normal job i guess and then they kind of go into that field but one of the writers at Samantha B was actually, or Fofornto, was really kind to all of us interns and would always like share advice and stuff like that. And he actually told us that um, before he worked at Full Frontal with Samantha B, he was working at a DMV in the Midwest. And oh. he literally heard about the show like online and submitted his packet. And that's how he got the job. So like for me, it does seem out of the blue if you're like watching the movie or very whimsical, like, oh, she's working at a chemical plant. And then she knew she won that. What did she win? Like a scholarship or no? Uh, she won the f- essay. Some kind of contest within the chemical company yeah. that got her. The, the prize was a meeting with anyone within the larger corporation. Uh, right. Which, which I, I will say, I wish. I think it's. It, I appreciate you telling that story, and I think it's cool to know that that kind of thing does happen. But it almost right. would have been better if someone else she met in the movie had that kind of experience, and then Connect. we just learned yeah. that, and then they use her as a character that gets in through more traditional means just to show how hard it is because well part of the reason there is this disparity in the genders in the writers rooms is because of the fact that like as that article mentions for every 300 male applicants there are like 50 female ones and whatever one of those one female one one of those 50 females gets the job it's probably going to be through like a shit ton of networking and like a ton of luck and having to overcome those old boys club obstacles like they hint at with the reed scott character and his dad and then trying to pass it down to his brother and i think having her get the job through more traditional means might have uh given the movie a way to further uh interrogate that uh that system and that old boys network type of thing where the movie doesn't really go too far down that rabbit hole and that was a missed opportunity probably yeah, and like I think you would still have like the Cinderella story aspect to it if she was just like this struggling comedian working at the UCB or something. You right. know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you get that like she's working, you know, she's busting her ass, and like it's still hard because like there's plenty of like sketch comedy uh, performers in New York and Chicago that like you know their whole dream is either to be a writer for one of these shows or you know like right. a SNL. Right. Uh, you know, you guys, one thing I want to – and we can talk more about that stuff if we want to, but I think we kind of agree that like, you know – well, actually, but, but before I move on because I, I wanted to ask about Emma Thompson because I, I, feel, I feel like I'm being too negative and I, <laughs> Emma Thompson is probably my favorite part of this movie. Uh, how did you um, – I mean based on whatever limited knowledge you have and just you guys have about this, uh, like, how did you think it did of just even if – regardless of the demographics within the writer's room, what did you think of just the way it showed how a writer's room would function on a daily basis? I'm guessing, uh, Alyssa, that from what you saw and your experiences working on those two <laughs> shows, the, the, the stars of those shows are probably more collaborative than Catherine Newberry Definitely. was at the beginning of this movie. Uh, but I, I, I did think it was interesting seeing that, like, wow, it's possible. I, I'm, I'm guessing that is totally possible, though, if, if, if a host – uh, chooses to be checked out in that manner that a show could still get made without them interacting with their writers? That was Letterman's process. That was famously... Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. 
Letterman like would never see his staff. Like Louis C.K., I think when he was writer for Letterman, like told the story about like you basically like write your jokes and you send it down like a mail shoot. <laughs> <laughs> And like, so that's what I want to ask you guys. Like, what did you think of it? Because given that that is pretty realistic, what did you think about just like seeing a little bit of a behind the scenes type thing? Even if, listen, maybe you've seen a little bit more about how the sausage gets made. What what, what did you think about how entertaining or slash accurate slash interesting its depiction of how this show gets made was? Yeah, I think just on that end, like I like that Emma's character was a little bit older because I think a lot of older women aren't really represented on screen like that. But also, you know, a lot of older men and women, you know, are kind of lose touch with what audiences want to hear. And and realistically, like uh, what's the actress's name who kept her like her boss that kept coming in and saying, yes, Amy Ryan. Thank you. And she was really great. um, Also an office alum. I was going to say, yeah, an office alum. Uh, but, you know, realistically, that's how it works. If, you know, if the, if the network, if the ratings are going down, someone's going to come in and tell you what to do. Like, I I think on that end, it was realistic. And I just love Emma Thompson as an actress. And I loved he- hearing her say the F word over and over again. And <laughs> I think in all honesty, I would love to see her as a late night host. I think that'd be a great opportunity. She has the background to do it. Like, I think we forget, like, you know, she got her bones. It's funny, like, you know, she becomes popular in America for the Merchant Ivory costume dramas in the early 90s. But, like, before that, she was, you know, doing sketch comedy with Hugh Laurie and Stephen Fry. And, you know, and the whole reason, actually, she got Sense and Sensibility was because uh, the producer that fell when looking for a writer to adapt the book came across Emma Thompson's like sketch comedy. Huh. And it was like, Oh, it was kind of filthy. And I thought it kind of worked for this material. That's cool. Well, one thing I've heard some people criticize the movie for saying that they don't think her jokes are funny enough, which I think is a pretty, uh, I think that's a criticism pretty off base because they're not supposed to be funny in the beginning. And I, and I actually laughed at some of the, like the bits in the, yeah. like, like I thought yeah. the, the, the white privileged man on the street bit that they come up with was actually fairly inspired <laughs> and, uh, kind of funny. And I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I, seems to match the staleness like you know it seems to match the staleness of like late letterman late leno anyway sure right? and, and that's what we should say is like it takes a it takes a lot from letterman i think not only in like you're saying uh which i'm now learning about the not interacting with the staff but also the way yeah. that he could be kind of condescending to guests if he has no interest in them or handle <laughs> Yeah, and the sex scandal, and which is kind of why I was like, oh, uh, the intern. When, yeah, when I, when when, I, when, I, when they were like t- debating all this, it's like they've chosen to set this movie in like a world where all this stuff exists. So when they're like debating whether or not like they need to address it head on, it's like, yeah, I know, like it, this happened with, and maybe Letterman doesn't exist in this world, and she is Letterman in this world, so I shouldn't be thinking about it this way. But it's like <laughs> we know that like that was probably the best move for him to make when he did address it head on on his show. You know, mm-hmm. but like there's also this whole thing where it's like obviously like a big heart of the movie that or a big just uh, through line of this movie that we haven't really touched on too much is that she just isn't that nice to her staff and she's yeah. having to learn how to do that. And whether like if you are too uh, nice and earnest and lose your edge, is the show going to lose its edge? And, you know, I just based on what little I, you had told me about working for Seth. Lisa, I was just like, I don't really know if that's like a, a question I need interrogated that much because like not yeah. to, not just from what I know from you, from like what I hear other people just say about Seth Meyers when they talk about Seth Meyers. It seems like he's mm-hmm. legitimately a good dude. It's like I don't think there's a question that you can just like be a good, compassionate person, like be good at one of these jobs, you know? 
Right. And you can't be a boss if you're not in communication with your employees. Like that's how any, or you can, but you probably won't be super effective you unless yeah, you're like you're as talented like, as David Letterman. Yeah. Right. And you're not going to be as happy. I mean, like there was an article that did come out like, like last year and it was like late night with Seth Meyers, like has the happiest like writing staff. Oh really? <laughs> so it's just humble, humble brag. Not, not that I'm on it, but you know, it's a very collaborative environment and it, I can see that I can see other hosts being the way Catherine Newberry is in the show, not nice, not asking for help, you know, wanting, wanting the way her voice sounds and not even questioning it. But like, again, I've reiterated a few times. I just, I can't picture that, you know? Well, no, what, what I will say though, is that like, while I'm criticizing it for like these things where I'm like, oh, well, I don't know if this depiction of someone is really that interesting given what I know about Seth or given mm-hmm. what we know about what Letterman did or whatever. Like I really enjoyed her performance. Like I think despite all these criticisms I'm talking about, I'm going to rewatch this movie once it's on Amazon. Like I just am, like I still was pretty entertained right. by it and I was charmed by even, uh, uh, charmed by her performance. And I like enough of those white dudes that like, I'm pretty <laughs> happy with it. I, I mean, I, we haven't even talked about her depiction of her home life, which is also uh, really mm-hmm. interesting in the context of the rest of this movie, but like John Lithgow, I thought is pretty great. And uh, that 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 plot point with the affair wraps itself up a little too tightly, a little quickly, maybe. Yeah. But, um, I, but I like I still like really really enjoyed just like watching these actors do their thing. And as uncomfortable as something like that is with a someone cheating on a spouse that has a terminal illness, like I I I wasn't like too turned off by it. And I like just thought I liked watching these actors be sweet towards each other and was charmed. So I thought that was just like something that the movie had going for it, which I think is a testament to the to Mindy Kaling's writing, even if I didn't uh-huh. uh, love the script at other points. In a weak year, I'd feel like Emma Thompson would be like, you know, like the fifth slot in the best actress like race, you know, um, and also her performance is, you know, there's you know, an art, like a model for it, which is Meryl Streep in The Devil Wear Prada, which also was <laughs> nominated. Right, which again, has this movie has been compared to just because of the whole mentor-mentee relationship storyline, you know? And then also like a veteran actress, you know, doing a lighthearted comedy as well. Right. No, oh, for sure, for sure. So, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously a little earlier in the year for that, but my reservations of this movie notwithstanding, like I would be totally fine with that. Like I, I really think she like commands the movie really well and is able to be obviously unsurprisingly effective in all of these really dramatic things she's asked to do. But like I still bought her as someone that would have had success in the comedy world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that hairdo, like, man, it's, it's like, <laughs> and her, her outfits, they're so badass. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to pretend to be any kind of fashion expert here, but like, I mean, like, I I think you. I I would say that she like she, she, she she rocked those looks. So good for her. Yeah, no, like that final like dress she wears in the film's like closing shot. Yeah, it's all bright and shiny, like. We talked about it. We talked about it a little bit, guys. But before, like, before, I mean, before we like uh, finish or give some other thoughts on the larger late night landscape or however we want to round this thing out, I want to ask you a little bit about this. Not not only the storyline with the affair, but also uh, Mindy Kaling like becoming involved with this writer. You know, I keep talking about how this movie is was maybe behind the times in some ways, but they they do talk about me, like Me Too some, you know, and so which is obviously like a much more recent thing than where I'm saying it felt like this movie was um, conceived. How did you think it handled those rather delicate issues, whether it be a more senior male employee, like 
kind of uh, becoming involved with a younger female employee, though clearly that was a consensual relationship and they both technically have the same job title, but also how it handled the idea of like a woman supervisor having a relationship with a male subordinate. Uh, do you think the movie walked that tightrope and handled those issues as well as it could have? See, I was a little turned off by the last minute inclusion uh, that last minute cameo by Harvey Weinstein. I just thought that was just important. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 yeah, that, that, that would, that would have been, uh, something, but yeah, uh, no, uh, when you, when you got over that, where'd you land? Um, I, I like, I thought it handled it. Like, I think at this point, any, like a lot of movies dealing with like women in the lead, like are somewhat going to have to address me too, especially if it takes place in a workplace. And I just thought it handled it pretty fine if the only thing that was maybe a little bit less realistic is just she probably would have gotten more shit because she's a woman and like if that happened like she probably would have gotten more shit than like what letterman would have gotten but right kind of like long shot it has to like sort of tidy up quickly like you know yeah i just i can't even remember when they addressed anything about me too the only thing i remember is when she was crying in her room crying in her room with her office mate and he was like trying to comfort her and he was like oh yeah you need to like stop crying and uh be stronger and i know there's all that me too you know whatever moving blah 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 but you need to like be better and i was like what is this kind of like i don't know if it was like trying to be an inspirational speech but that's all i can remember from the movie actually yeah i mean mean, my memory's bad but yeah i mean they they, they, no again i'm I'm not expecting you to recall every little detail you you went to you went to the early screen a few weeks ago i'm the person that saw it three days ago i should be no uh, i i i i I shouldn't be uh burdening you guys too much with recalling specific details but they do mention it a couple times so you know i was just curious and like i mean i don't know like the one weird thing was that the hugh dancy character just kind of disappears they don't really totally resolve it which was uh kind of i mean but the is that was probably how it would happen in real life like they'd try and make it like they'd try and sweep it under the rug and make it like go away quietly and try and make that guy just go away right i was gonna say i just have more of a i have more of a hot take of the kind of romances in the movie because like i don't know if you guys felt this way too but my first impression was when she got the job that you know she'd kind of be above not above dating in the workplace, but I thought she, you know, kind of wouldn't dabble in it. Well, because so, like the, the, one of the fun, the funnier moments when she's applying for the job is she's like, are, they're like, are you going to be okay in this masculine environment? She's like, oh, I saw the writers. I'm not too worried about that. And that was yeah. funny. So it's like, maybe she kind of realizes she can do better. Right. I didn't know. And I read this really good article from, um, oh, I forgot her name. I think it was like Heather Schwin- Schwindle at like Slate. Okay. And she was commenting on how like the, I feel like the film could have, worked way better without she's talking about how like the film could have worked way better without um any of the romances i feel like they took away from what the point of the film was because there were so many subplots and then you add this sort of these like whirlwind romances and at the end i don't know i just like, well, yeah, like why do we have a film about two women that's just about two women like i love minnie kaling and i know her background is rom-coms and like i'm the one for to first like, like she's like my idol but i was like you know for once i wanted it to just be about like Emma Thompson and her life and then Mindy Kaling's life and her character and then, you know, kind of how they intertwine. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because the next thing I was going to ask you is, you know, in the <laughs> last scene, they they, uh, they, 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 they they heavily imply slash show that she and Reed Scott are dating and uh, like he kisses her as they're like sitting there watching the show film. 
and so cringy. Uh, yeah, like kisses her shoulder or something. And like I, I like that guy as an actor. Like he, I, I recently just rewatched all of Veep in, in advance of the final season. Yeah. So like I mean, it's in a, really an incredible performance he gives as maybe the most soulless person on that show. And yeah. he starts out being uh, somewhat soulless in this movie, and then they try and redeem him, and all of a sudden they're dating at the end. I was curious if you guys had any thoughts on how that character was handled because it's, I mean, it's a fairly not, it's not, it's a not insignificant part of the movie in that he's kind of the one that like gives us the lowdown on the Hugh Dancy character not being such a good guy when we've been <laughs> led to believe that he's not a good guy because he's saying some pretty incredibly tone deaf things after his brother mm-hmm. doesn't get that job. Like, yeah, like that was one thing I was like, man, I don't know if someone would be like this blatantly misogynistic. Like, I'm sure, I'm sure that some of that does <laughs> exist, but it just wasn't as compelling to me as maybe someone that could have been a little more subtly misogynistic if that makes sense where he's like saying like <laughs> yeah like like the way you were saying about it being a ted talk he was no. saying all the exact wrong You're things right. that you shouldn't be caught saying it's like this is a little obvious and now all of a sudden he's gonna do a 180 before the end of the movie i just wanted to add like i'm just proud of bindi for like truly committing herself to like having the hottest like fictional boyfriends because <laughs> that's the one thing that i'm here for but no oh, yeah, john so, reed's well, character cr- was really great yeah i don't know how does he compare to chris messina can you comment um chris messina with brown hair like they're kind of the same but chris messina with the dyed blonde hair was like a whole game change i don't know if you guys have seen that photo i I can't even imagine chris messina with blonde hair hair? i think it was for like a last last year's an award or maybe it was the emmys or yeah he has such a a distinct look i can't actually picture him with blonde hair it looks like he went through a bad breakup Uh, oh okay. wow no oh, right oh, wow <laughs> milo <laughs> yikes um, um, no um, it was that cliche like rom-com like the the guy that hates her in the end like they end up falling in love you know i don't know right he like I, I wanted to back up a little bit to like the you know we were talking about like the romantic uh subplots of the film and stuff yeah, yeah. And, like i think Lissa's issue with it was like this true romance of this film is her relationship between uh emma uh, emma thompson's character like that's the it's basically a platonic romance and then the final scene of the film you know where emma thompson has to walk up the stairs um to her apartment to try to get her back you know it's fulfilling those rom-com tropes you know it's just like tom hanks at the end of you got mail to meg ryan it's (laughs) like you know it's a boss and her um subordinate you know well no it, uh, it, it is a good point because and it actually the same exact thing happens at the end of morning glory because it's kind of the same <laughs> idea in that movie with uh, rachel mcadams and the harrison ford character he has to make a grand gesture towards the producer at the end but like i i, I like what you guys are saying though about yeah it probably should have cut like two of these other three romantic storylines in favor of that one because there's a lot of yo-yoing from Catherine newberry throughout this movie about whether or not she actually like likes mindy kaling wants to do good for the show and work hard and tell the right kind of jokes and run the way the show the way it should be run and i feel like maybe you kind of understand more her motivations and what makes her tick and what makes her want to like do the right thing if you spend a little bit more time just getting to know her and their relationship because it feels a little arbitrary when she like makes the choices she makes throughout the movie do either of you agree with what I just said? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, no, I, I, I thought I might have lost yeah. you. Sorry. It was kind of like, you know, when you're, like, in class as a kid and, like, the, you're, like, you didn't do the homework um, and, like, the ki- the teacher's about to call on someone and you're just like, please don't call on me, don't call on me. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think so. That's what me and Lisa just had. Just then. No, I mean, like, did you guys feel like the film was burdened with all like the subplots, or, or like you guys were no, following like along the, the whole time? I like this. Actually, you know, with the here's the one thing um, with the uh, Hugh Dancy character. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that's a small touch, but like when they make when they first make out, I'm like. That's like a very like it's kind of awkward and like not <laughs> so like awkward. yeah it's not like very cinematic. Like, I, I was like I, I'm always like like I love it when like movies because I think it's very rare for movies to actually capture the awkwardness of it. <laughs> thing like it's not like this romantic thing. Um, so I kind of like that touch there where it's just like. It's like a it's like a sloppy makeout, which I um, I appreciate. <laughs> no, no I, th- there's certainly something to that if you can capture the realism more, and maybe that's some of uh, Mindy Kaling elevating the rom com genre in some ways and uh, making it a little messier uh, than it could be. But to your question, Lisa. I don't know if I felt as burdened in the moment, but just talking to you guys about it, like I feel like I'm just seeing mm-hmm. a version of this movie that I could more appreciate, not only with some of the criticisms I had about how it could have been a little more adapted to the times, but at the same time, like I don't think it loses – it tries to do a lot. Uh, it could have. This could easily be like a, a, a like a, a like an eight episode miniseries where it like fully flushes right. out all of these different things. But it could also be a very good movie if you just like let's say just cut out everything that has to do with Hugh Dancy. Like you don't need you don't need Molly getting into a romance. Uh, you don't you you don't need him in the the affair storyline. That yes, that's not. Uh, does, that doesn't necessarily ring false to real life because it did happen with Letterman. But at the same time, I think there's enough stress there on her relationship with her husband just with her having to commit the time to make the show good. Like mm-hmm. if she's having to put in all the time it would take to actually come up with these good bits and make the show more relevant again, she's inevitably going to be working longer hours with the husband that has Parkinson's at home. There's enough drama there that you don't need an affair. Yeah. And also, you could have had like a broadcast news like type dilemma between like Mindy Kaling and Reed Scott about like like the direction of the show should it be like you know like I like because I feel like with late night comedy right now you do have like the two poles like whether it could be more political or could it be more like escapist entertainment like in the form of Jimmy Fallon where it's just the bits. Well, what, 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 didn't he, the thing is, it, I, I felt like the Reed Scott character wasn't even going for either of those. You know, her, yeah. like her show didn't have those bits, which they tried to do, I but mean, it also wasn't political. It, it seemed like, yeah, it seemed like he was arguing for like the um, the the Jay Leno stuff that uh, he was so known for, just like the kind of old old timey safe stuff aimed towards a big audience. Though I though I think he is a more important character than a lot of these other guys that are in the movie for a lot of reasons that we've already discussed. Whether, oh, what, I thought he was like the MVP sort of like, you know, uh, like I love that character actor where I'm like, Oh, he actually looked like a producer. Like oh, he definitely. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I, I, yeah, I agree. And I just thought that, you know, I, I guess, and he certainly, I don't want him to be pigeonholed as the guy from veep. And I was just like, but I was <laughs> like, I, I've seen him play like a, a terrible person so well but like a terrible smart person that like or smart in many ways that knows like when to say the right thing and i i just didn't love how they the way they made him awful in this movie and they redeemed him quickly even if like i i i still liked his presence overall and thought it was a key he was a key character that served a really important purpose it's just i thought i thought it could have been tinkered with a little bit for sure and but like i still like him and i want that guy to do more good stuff because uh i i just i feel like he was just greatly underappreciated and compared to a lot of the cast members in veep guys is there like anything else that we haven't touched on that you wanted to make any other points you want to make about the movie 
either of you any other odds or ends? There was a surprising lack of Gemini man um, in the movie. Oh god! Oh my god! We're not at that, we're not quite at that point in the podcast yet. Okay, like that that that's that's where you gotta plug stuff. Okay, I'm, I know it's gonna be an obligatory thing until October or whenever that movie comes out, but. Um, uh, <laughs> The I know they, 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 they certainly could have set this movie in uh, fall of 2010 and uh, had gotten a guest spot from Will Smith or something like that on the show or fall, fall of 2019. Oh, if they had Will Smith promoting Gemini Man as like one of Emma Thompson's like guests on her show. This would be like the best movie of the year for me. <laughs> but, but also but also speaking of guest spots, like how are you going to like make a movie like shitting on straight white like male comedians? But you're like going to give a, a cameo to Bill Mayer. <laughs> Bill Maher. Bill Maher, yeah. So I'm like, oh, uh... which is weird because like, I feel like it's like it's sort of like ridiculing him and his like uh, his cameo, sort of like ridiculing his, you know, oh, not, yeah, not shitting on like the main character. But I feel like when they gave him like like when they gave him like oh hey do you want a you know quick buck like cameo in this movie right and like have the like... artist for it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As far as other cameos, I guess I don't know if there really was one besides Her Seth. Box. Was yeah, it? your boss. I met the interview he did with uh, Lissa. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I wish I, would, I made a joke because he's wearing a gray sweater, and he I think his favorite his favorite top is a gray sweater. So I, I do just think it was brand. weird. Like I, I mean, I no, I I love Seth. He's probably my favorite of all the current late night hosts. But like, I thought it was just weird that he was in this movie, given what we've already talked about. It's like you're acknowledging that Seth Meyers exists in this universe, yet you're questioning whether or not someone can be nice and be a good boss, or like, right. or, 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 yeah, no, like honestly, or, or, I would or be effective with political comedy. comedy. It's like weird that he's he's actually going to be the most prominently featured actual late night host in this movie, yet you're going to like raise these questions throughout the movie. It was very odd yeah and if i'm mindy if i had the choice between emma thompson's character and seth myers who seems like you know even though she's kind of blowing that interview too with seth myers and he's so gracious about it like i'm like i'm like we're for seth like <laughs> uh, yeah, she, i know she climbs some she climbs some stairs for you yeah yeah like like her character you know eventually will have to retire far sooner than seth like i'm thinking in terms of long-term like prospects like the seth job seems pretty great yeah i mean i mean i don't not that i don't think seth's like a vindictive guy but like you're gonna remember the fact that you just like turned down a job offer from the guy that gave you a job offer inexplicably when you worked for like eight weeks for like a woman that's like yeah been embroiled in controversy and doesn't exactly have the best ratings (laughs) i like to i like to think that her seth cameo is is her low-key saying that <laughs> seth is the only good right, right. late night host and, and there the actually author. is a, a fallon dig in the movie for whatever that's worth like they do uh make some kind of joke about a segment he had like the week before that's supposed to be taken as like oh wow you can't take him seriously so they oh, it's interesting yeah. they do knock him even though like mindy's been pretty pretty firmly within the nbc family for some time now she uh wasn't below taking a shot at jimmy fallon in her script right um, everybody like everybody does i like to a point where i i'm maybe starting to feel a little bit bad for Fallon because I would say like out of the current late night of the uh, late night hosts I'd probably say the what he did to the Tonight Show was probably the most like game changing in terms of the like format like without him you don't have Corden which is like also like I guess I should be more angry at Fallon because of that but but in terms of like what he was doing 
you know, he found a way to cut, like, we wouldn't have these, like, YouTube bits, shit. Like, it all came from, like, Fallon. Right, like, and, I, and I, I almost, like, I guess in retrospect, I can kind of, like, appreciate that a little more now as, like, an adult that, like, has to, like, wake up for a job at, uh, <laughs> that I have to be at at 8 o'clock in the morning. But, like, for a lot of these, like, from basically the 2010 Late Night Wars until uh, 2016, late 2016, I wasn't a real person with a job. I was a student that often sometimes didn't have class till 10 or 11 in the morning, so I could stay up and watch all this stuff. And now, like, I watch it like they say a lot of these people watch it. Like, I watch, like, the stuff on <laughs> – I, I watch the stuff on YouTube the next Hulu day. Or, the next or, day. Or, or someone's like, wow, Seth had this awesome uh, – um, what, what, what's his segment? Um look. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When someone's like, "Oh wow, closer look was awesome last night," then I watch it. Like I just, I don't take the time to like watch everything every night. If someone's like, "This was awesome," I will carve out that time the next day. So it is interesting to think, like, yeah, I get that the times have maybe left Jimmy Fallon behind a little bit, but I kind of respect the fact that like there is this emphasis on going viral because it makes me, it makes it easier for me to like still be a casual consumer of late night content. Yeah, like I, I like I'm not gonna like. When I'm on the toilet or I'm like in <laughs> my classes or something, like I'm watching like a closer look or a Conan bit or like a Kimmel. And you don't know how many like interviews I've seen of just like, you know, like Charlie's Theron, like on late night TV shows. Like it's just. <laughs> It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, not the, yeah. Let's not pretend that you wouldn't watch a Charlie's Theron interview, even if it wasn't a late night talk show, late night interview. <laughs> yeah, no, like, like I, I watched her Hot Ones um, uh, episode. I, I just gotta watch Hot Ones. I'm like, that's like I love Hot Ones. Yeah, like I, since I have the summer off now, I'm just like, like I'm killing a lot of time by watching <laughs> Hot Ones. <laughs> a good way to spend your time. Yeah, it makes you like hungry for wings. And did you see? Did you see? Uh, Jimmy Fallon actually had Sean on his show yeah, the other did, day. Yeah, like I, I was, was shocked. He's trying to. He's trying to get with the kids. Yeah. No, well, here's the thing. He was. I would also. I'm going to defend his late when he was hosting late night. That was actually a pretty hip show when he was hosting late night because he would that was have fun. Coolest, he would have the coolest like musical acts, and at the time, like the, the stuff he was doing were kind of novel. And, Are you talking uh, about Fallon? Yeah. Did he have the roots when he first got the late night? What? Yeah. The, the, the roots what? were with him from the beginning when he first yeah. became a late night. Yeah, yeah he's yeah, always yeah, had yeah, the roots. Yeah. That was also yeah. No, he he still has the best like house band out of all the late night. Like that was oh, like for sure. Oh yeah. Like you could get the roots. Like who knew? Right. <laughs> no, it's it's wild that like they've uh, just kept that as a, their regular gig for like that long now, given how like successful they were in like in their careers prior to that. Uh, but yeah, guys, I, I think we've up about pretty well covered this one. I really appreciate you guys getting together on, uh, to do this with me. Cause I think you're, uh, two of the best people that I could have had to, uh, out of my rotating cast of guests to, uh, talk <laughs> about this, this specific subject matter. And I've really uh, enjoyed it. <laughs> Sorry. Denise was like originally supposed to be on here and like, I well, I mean, uh, like, she is a Mindy Kaling expert, so that was why she uh, could have uh, spoken to that well. But, I mean, again, like, uh, you, you, you have no shortage of knowledge about this stuff, too. So I, uh, I appreciate you uh, stepping in and filling in admirably in her absence. Um, it's a win-win. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. I'm well, listening to the crown best friend. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> before, before, uh, before uh, Josh plugs Gemini Man, uh, do you have anything you want to plug of your own, Lissa? Um, yes, you can follow me on Twitter. I am 
Liss, L-I-S-S-K-H-O-S-H-B-A-K-H-T-I. My whole name is a fit, which is perfect. And then you can follow me at Letterboxd on Lissa Lissa. I usually post dumb reviews, but sometimes they're funny. So follow me there. Josh, do you have anything you want to promote besides Gemini Man? Um, my Letterboxd account, JKB1626. Um, yeah, I'm private on a lot of social media now. Uh, but Gemini Man, October 11, 2019, <laughs> Will Smith entered the millennium. And I'll joking aside, though, I, th- I don't think the trailer for that was bad. See, I was actually <laughs> underwhelmed. This is secret. This is me talking out of school. I was underwhelmed by the trailer for Gemini Man, but but like, because like, I was very underwhelmed by it, and then where I'm like, oh, do I need to like start recounting everything I said about it being the best movie of the year? But um, that said, like if because they have to retrofit some theaters in order for it to project it in the 120 frames per second. Oh my god, I forgot they're doing that again. Oh lord. Oh, but if, I mean, like- if my theater in Orlando doesn't get it, like get the proper projection for it. I'm flying to New York that weekend, and I'm going <laughs> to see it the way it was meant to be hey, seen. I know that, like, my, my my local AMC here is like at least like uh, with it enough to like the. the I, it was before I moved here, but they were like one of the ones that got the Hateful Eight Roadshow. So yeah, same as mine. Okay, so okay, so that doesn't automatically mean you you would get like the right format for the Ang Lee thing. Um, I guess because uh, when Billy Lynn half long halftime walk came out. Only like four theaters in the country were properly equipped to oh, like. That's so show. dumb. Like, why would you put it in a format where like where so few screens can do it? Um, Angley's a visionary, man. <laughs> All right. Well, wait. Well, it, yeah. Sorry, I was gonna say if Josh is promoting an October movie, I want to promote an October movie, yeah, so everyone should go see Joker when it comes out. Even though I know everyone is going to, anyways. But. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> This is, we're just promoting the well, it's movies. like we're just promoting movies. Well, so uh, so my friend Fred, who uh, is a regular guest on the show, he started in when I he doesn't even have Twitter, so it's like, but he has actually a really uh, active letterbox account. But he's like he started like using the hey, do you want to you want to plug something? Time to like fill something he really recently liked that he watched, and now you guys Aww. are and now you guys and which is cool. Like hey, here's something that like I think is good that more people should look to, and now you guys right. are just like promoting stuff that no one has seen and you have no idea if it's any good. So you're just, oh, yeah, you're just like taking. You're just best. taking it in a whole other direction. <laughs> it worked for me with Welcome to Marwin. Yeah, like, that, uh, but it backfired with Alita. That one I didn't see coming. Okay. All right. <laughs> oh, all right. my all right. God. All right. Before it goes off the rails any further, I'm Josh Jernavoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y, on Twitter and Letterboxd. The podcast has its own Twitter as well, Rewind Movie Pod. Check that out. Coming up next week, we'll have podcasts both on Toy Story 4 and our friend Daniel is going to join us to talk about Anna. So stay tuned for that. We'll see you next time.